What is up, everyone? I hope you are doing fantastically well today. It is Wednesday, June 2nd, and I'm here with Sharon Humes for episode number 206 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. We're back from vacation, took a little break last week because there were no fights, and I was probably already drinking Wednesday night, I believe, most likely. So, yeah, you know, we, we took a week off um, because there wasn't anything to really talk about in combat sports. I didn't really want to try to ham a show together. But we have a little bit to talk about this week, and I'm going to throw it over to my co-host, tag team partner, Shawan Humes. How are you doing there, sir? Not bad. Graduation's like a week and a half, maybe two weeks, week and a half about away, so then that'll be out of the way, and... Otherwise, just business as usual, just training kids. And uh, the book I wrote you came out, I want to say, was it this week? Yeah, this Monday, I think. Um, Fine, Art of, Fine Art of Violence, Volume 2 by Chris Reaney. Um, I did an essay about uh, Rose Nama Yunus uh, and her career throughout the UFC and her two fight series with Jessica Andrade. And uh, so that's been out. I heard it's been doing pretty good. And other than that, just been watching fights and uh, kind of living life. We should probably try to get Chris on the show, man. I'm sitting here thinking about it. I was talking to him about his book uh, on Twitter today. Basically, I just need to buy my copy of it. But we should probably be, be talking about getting him on the show at some point in time. Uh, yeah, he, he would appreciate that. He's a good guy. He's uh, he's one of the first people to talk about doing a podcast when we originally we were going to do something before uh, MMA ratings came in. And I just ended up working with you guys. Uh, but he's a really good guy. And um, he just likes my take on things. And he allowed me to be a part of it. So I was pretty honored. There's some pretty uh, established names in the sport established out in and outside the sport as far as writers who are on it. So kind of cool to see my name right next to theirs. Yeah, man, I, I definitely think it's cool to see your name there too. Um, I'm going to purchase my copy of the book. Uh, we'll probably talk about it. Uh, one of these days. Do you have a copy? Uh, he's sending me, like he wanted me to have my own copy. He's sending it to me in the mail. Okay. Okay. So, um, and then he goes, you know, it. the next, I think the ne- what, he's going to send it this week or next week. And then he wants to kind of, you know, kind of what happens from, from there, but he would, he would like to be on the show. He, you know, he's a good guy. He knows a lot about the sport. I mean, you know him, so. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, let me uh, let me buy my copy, and then we'll talk about getting him on. Uh, are you following the playoffs, man? Uh, yeah. I, I feel like the playoffs are more important than anything we're seeing in combat sports right now. So let's talk some basketball for a second, man. Are you following the game? What you got going on? Uh, no, I, I've been following them. I, I watched last night where Dame Lillard had one of the best time, only for everybody on his team to let him down. Dude, I was talking about him, and I was like, this reminds me of the Allen Iverson run to the finals. Yeah. What was that? A one? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that was his MVP year, and he's dragging the Sixers along with him just to mess around and get swept. I mean, they basically got swept. They won game one, but they got ran out of the playoffs in, in the finals. And what Dame Miller does, I mean, this is like the third playoff season in a row where he's had a game like that, and he's had to do it all by himself just to see everybody else cough it up at the end. I mean, sending it to what two overtimes? He must have hit like on on three step back threes from well beyond the arc. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. If anybody would have given him like, you know, Melo would have given him five more points. If McCullum would have had four more points, it's just it's just it's crushing to see a person work that hard and put that much of a game out. And his organization and his coach does not support him at all. Like Portland's cup team is terribly coached. Their offense is all based off of it's like Jason Garrett's. Offense on football. My skill, my my skill position guys are just gonna basically beat your guys. And if they can't beat your guys, I have no way of setting up plays 
to generate easy shots. Like he has Dame, McCollum, and and Melo, three of the best tough shot makers. In so basically, his offense relies on them hitting crazy shots. If they can't hit crazy shots, the offense just falls apart. So if somebody's cold, it, it's just nothing. He needs two guys going crazy. If only one guy's going crazy, they're just going to be close and lose. It's happened all year long. It's happened for the past two years. He is a terrible offensive coach, and he's an awful defensive coach. What's killed me, well, not necessarily about the game. What killed me, I was pissed off with ESPN because they stuck with the Lakers game. The Lakers were down by almost 40 at one point in time. Oh, yeah. And they stuck with the Lakers game instead of flipping over to the Portland yeah, game. Yeah, they, they watch. They let you watch somebody get beat up instead of watch putting a competitive game on. There was only one game last night. <laughs> that was Denver and Portland. Yeah. that was actually a game. That that's what really kind of infuriated me because it, it's it's like you. We want to see the those are the good games that people are going to get excited about. Not watching LeBron lose by forty. Like I didn't want to see that. Nobody wanted people, to see that. people love to see LeBron lose though. That people love to see that. LeBron get LeBron losing by 30, 20. They like that. that people love to see LeBron lose. People do love to see the LeBron winners, lose. And it's funny. I'm not going to segue off of that because we're talking about people losing. And I think people want to see this Sunday. They have a fight where two people that everybody wants to see lose are fighting each other. How is that going to play out? You got Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul fighting on Sunday. We're going to talk, talk about this. But who do you think people want to see lose more? I'd probably say more people want to see uh, Logan Paul lose, to be quite honest. I mean, there's a lot of people who hate Mayweather, but at least to the to the outside person, Mayweather has earned his money and he's earned his position, whether we like it or not, or his cockiness, whether you like it or not. He, earned it. he, he came from an amateur all the way to being one of the top, let's say, just say 10 boxers of all time. So people can at least respect that. With Logan Paul, it's the same thing with Jake Paul, even though people don't and how much work goes into making content for YouTube to the point where you can make millions off it. So they don't respect that work. It just seems like it's something easy. And as people who do podcasts, we know it's not very easy to get content and do it well and to draw on fans. That's very difficult. And then people don't respect the work he's doing preparing as a fighter because he, he hasn't gone through all the steps of being an amateur and working and building his way up. He's found his way into multi-million dollar fights and fighting in front of thousands of people automatically. So people don't really respect his work ethic because they don't understand it. He's worked very hard to create this situation for himself, but people don't understand it, so they can't even respect it. They can at least respect Floyd's work ethic. They can at least respect what Floyd's done. They don't understand what Jake what Jake and Logan Paul have done. So I get why people, I mean, Jake Paul, I think, was accused of sexual assault, and Logan Paul got in trouble for the situation with the guy who committed suicide that he showed on his YouTube uh, podcast. So they, there are reasons why people don't like the Paul brothers. So I mean, there, there's lots of fighters and people, celebrities have been accused of sexual assault, and it hasn't impacted their popularity very much. So Floyd Mayweather. I mean, we're I, talking- think, I, think, I think a lot of it, I mean, among sports athletes, the Paul brothers are very frustrating because they've basically been showing up combat sports athletes and other sports athletes, and uh, it kind of is a bad look. But I just think what they represent, they seem to be very cocky, very privileged, very entitled white kids. And that, that that strikes a nerve with a certain segment of America, even with a certain segment of America that's not very successful right now. That irritates them as well. Yeah, and I think that that plays a part in it, too, as well, um, because they're doing things their own way and they're doing things in a way where they're definitely they're changing the culture, which is interesting 
to the, the, the fight game. I mean, they're getting paid and they're getting people paid to fight them. Um, even if it's shenanigans like Ben Askren. Yeah. And then that really does rub a lot of people. Um, it, it irks a lot of nerves along the way just because they're doing things. Everyone wants to see, you know, Dustin Poirier get paid the way the Paul brothers do, but he will probably never get paid like that. Uh, maybe he will for this, this Connor fight, but that's not even guaranteed. Well, so I really see how that's really rubbing a lot of people the wrong way. We had talked about that before because um, people don't understand, like, they're like, oh, just use your social media. But the thing is, as a fighter, and you've competed to understand, it's very hard to to put that kind of dedication in and also make in, make do interviews or spread the word about yourself or make post after post because it can't be just one or two. It's got to be a consistent presence. That's how they've gotten big. A consistent presence, going outside their comfort zone, touching on all sorts of things, spending their own money to put themselves in a position to take advantage of the fans or people who were interested or this new medium at the time, which was YouTube. That's what they had to do. What fighter outside of, you know, you see, see people like Connor and Ronda Rousey, but even they, their performance has suffered as a result in certain levels because of the stardom. What fighter from the beginning of their point starting to the point at their biggest peak, or what, what fighter gets to their peak if at their earliest stages they're banging out content for YouTube? They, they can't do it. So basically, the Paul brothers provide a shortcut. If you can get a fight with one of these guys, you get, even though whether you win or lose, you get all their fans, you get all the promotion, all the polarizing comments, you get everything that comes with it, and it, genera- come, it generates into money for you. Tyron Woodley's going to get paid, Ben Askren got very paid. Mayweather gets money anyways, but now Mayweather's fighting a nobody, and he'll probably make close to, if not more than what he made with Conor McGregor, all because of what the the Paul brothers have done. But you can't do that as a fighter. It's very difficult to have that big of a social media presence from beginning all the way to your peak. They established their social media presence early, then they became fighters. Once they've already been millionaires, multi-millionaires through YouTube, then they last three, four years, they went into fighting. If, if they would have tried to do this while they're trying to fight, there's no way they would have been any decent at fighter. And there would have been no, no, no way they could have constantly built up a strong enough online presence to become stars or money-making machines. So it's a trade-off. Social media will help you, but what fighter has the time to dedicate it strictly to that? And what fighter has enough money to pay someone to be their social media person and consistently post, consistently post, consistently post? It's not easy. I mean, you know it's not easy. I try to post a lot on Twitter about MMA and stuff. It's hard for me. It's like, man, like, what else am I going to post? What other article am I post? What other comment am I going to make? It takes a lot. It's a lot of hard work. So they, they, they did it backwards. Got the fame first, then got into fighting. Most people don't get famous until they become very good fighters or they get the right fight. So they're always going to have a leg up. And fighting them is just a shortcut. It's a cheat code. If you're a fighter who hasn't made a lot and needs an opportunity – course you want to fight these guys you'll get paid more than you've ever made in your life even if you just fight on one of their cards you're probably going to get paid more than you've made throughout most of your career so they're basically a cheat code and while people resent them they get they got ben Askren paid if dustin poirier fights one of them he'll get him paid tyron woodley's going to get paid much more than he's made the entirety of his mma career they all know this you know the only good thing about them is they've highlighted how ridiculous the pay in mma is that you can make more fighting two non-fighters than you can make defending multiple championships in MMA. That's very true. Um, how do you think this fight is going to go down on Saturday? He is Jake Paul weighed in at 199 for his first fight. Floyd Mayweather fought 147, 154 at the max. Floyd's 44. Um, 
how do you think this fight is going to go down? Like what? Because as before, we even talk about that. Let's talk about the rules first. So it's eight three-minute rounds, no judges, um, knockdowns are allowed, knockouts are allowed, and if it get it's, it's considered an exhibition, so there isn't technically a winner. If all eight rounds conclude, it's going to be they can either decide to vote amongst key people to decide who wins or not, or they can just call it a draw. Based on those rounds, Sean, what do you or those rules? What do you see happening on uh, Sunday? I mean, at the end of the day, it still comes down to skills. I mean, Logan's much Logan's much bigger. Um, I guess you could say he might be even stronger given the weight disparity. He's a good athlete. He used to wrestle. He's training. He's obviously athletic. But if it was somebody like myself boxing Logan Paul, his athleticism would be a problem because I, 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 on average, I wouldn't see something comparable to it. I've seen something like it before, but not on a consistent basis. His mm-hmm. size would be an issue because I don't have a good enough skill set to make up for the size and strength and power advantage he would have. Any advantage he has physically based off his youth, and he does have one, but it's not going to be as big an advantage as it is Floyd Mayweather. The, the difference in IQ and skill and reflexes and timing and just ability to get it's not it's just not even close. There's such a gap between them. And even though Logan Paul is a big name, if I recall correctly, his, his his career as a YouTube fighter hasn't been spectacular. I mean, I mean, he's only fought once. He lost to KSI. Yeah, Jake Jake Paul's the guy who's actually done more. And whether you think his fights are setups or not, the fact of the matter is, he's he's been moved like an actual pro boxer. You get a lot of cans, you set up, and you build your record. He's actually fought more, and he's actually performed better. We don't really know what to expect from Logan Paul, but if he's thinking he's going to outskill Floyd Mayweather. That's, that's a tough stretch. Juan Mel, Manuel Marquez couldn't do that. Manny Pacquiao couldn't do that. Um, I mean, Ricky Hatton, Canelo didn't, Canelo Hernandez couldn't, Angel Manfredi couldn't. Like legitimate world class boxers couldn't outskill him. And I know Floyd's rusty, supposedly, and I know he's old, supposedly, but Logan Paul isn't going to outbox him for eight rounds. He's not going to outslick him for eight rounds. I don't necessarily know that he can outwork him for eight rounds because Logan Paul's never fought a, a hard. I don't know that he's fought eight rounds before. I think the fight with KSI was like what three? Yeah, I think it was three or four. Yeah, three or four, and he was tired in that. So I'm not saying he's not training hard. I'm not saying he's not taking it seriously, but you're not gonna you're not gonna beat over 20 years of basically elite boxing experience just as a pro and make that up in dedication and hard work. I mean, it, you're just not going to make up that kind of gap. The only advantage chance he has is Floyd breaks his hands, punching him. And even if Floyd broke both hands, there's no way Floyd's giving up that O. That O allows Floyd to talk all sorts of shit. That O allows Floyd to make all sorts of money. That O allows Floyd to basically be spotless above every other fighter in the generation who's anywhere near close to him. A loss, even a disputed loss against a YouTuber ruins all that. So Floyd's not going to let that happen. His only chance is to knock him out. And even though he's bigger and stronger and he's been training boxing, people don't understand the difference between somebody who trains boxing, even seriously, like a hobbyist, or somebody who's an aspiring pro and somebody who's trained boxing and fought at the highest levels. The snap to your punches, the placement, the the energy transference, it's just levels apart. Now, him being as big as he is would be a problem for me. Him being as big as he is in boxing might be a problem for you. Him being as big as he is isn't going to be as much of a problem against Floyd Mayweather because 
quite frankly, Logan Paul does not have the overall defensive and offensive skills to make it a real problem, like a real, real problem. You know, there's a lot of 140 pound guys, 147 guys who will just knock him out right now, even as big as he is. Now, if he was a legitimate boxer, it'd be a tougher match because the skill gap wouldn't be as wide. But the skill gap is is just I I can't. It's a difference between me and Michael Jordan. It's difference between me and and Kevin Durant. That's how wide the skill level is. And that might be an understatement. That's how wide the skill level is. So his only chance is Floyd injures himself. Or he knocks Floyd out. And I don't know how either one of those things happened, even if Floyd's not taking it seriously. Floyd's never really out of shape. And you can't make up, like I said, 20 years as a pro and how many 10, 15 years of that before that is a is an amateur boxer. You can't make up that difference. You can't make that up overnight. There's Let no me ask way- you a question. Let's say we're in Bizarre World here and something does happen on Sunday and Floyd Mayweather loses a legit loss, like legit loss. What does that do to his legacy? Does that negate the other what well, he retired 50 and 0? Does that re- negate the other 50 wins of his career? Yes, it does. He and he took an exhibit. I don't care if it's an exhibition match. I don't care if it's an exhibition match. You can't lose any sort of match. I mean, like if Floyd Mayweather was like, let's say he was 60, and this guy was 60, and this guy was the same age. Okay, then maybe we could excuse it because he's clearly past the point where he could actually functionally affect it. He could functionally act. But if he loses loses an exhibition, and for even if it's really close, and it's going to look bad for him. You can say he didn't take it seriously. Well, that's your fault. He just, you know, I thought he was just a YouTuber. Once again, that is your fault. You took him lightly. You took it lightly. You're making millions upon millions of dollars. I don't know why you take this as a joke. This is this fundamentally undercuts everything about Floyd Mayweather if he loses this fight. I mean, Ben Askren isn't even a good boxer, and people look at Ben Askren different now that he got knocked out, and he's not even a good boxer. Nate Robinson isn't a boxer at all, and his reputation was totally trash being knocked out. It's something he's not any good at. It. Dude, you haven't heard from Nate, Nate Robinson since. I almost forgot totally about that. Exactly. He's not even a boxer, and you saw people got on him. Ben Askren, we, everybody knows he's a terrible striker, and people were piling on him for getting knocked out even though that was the most likely thing to happen, knocked out early. If Floyd, the actual pro boxer, one of the top 10 boxers of all time, some people say number one, get one of the best defensive fighters of all time, gets knocked out by a guy who's been fighting, who's been only fought once, and has been training for three to four, three to five years, and he gets knocked out, or if he's even getting beat up and he's worn out and he's hanging on for a decision, oh, good Lord, man. It's, it's all over for this man. It's all over for this man. I don't care. I'm not going to want to hear age. I'm not going to hear I didn't take him seriously. You're getting probably making $100 million off this fight. You should take it seriously. And you know, if they beat him, they're talking all sorts of shit. Logan Paul will not do a rematch. He'll say, I beat you. Done. You get nothing. He'll hold that car forever. There's Floyd can't afford to lose this fight. Floyd can't really afford for it to be even remotely competitive. Conor McGregor, you can understand him. Multi-time UFC champion, a striker, knocked out some of the best fighters in the world in MMA. Logan Paul lost to KSI. So let's talk about the rest of this card, too. I want to kind of pop in on this and ask you if there's anything else on this card that's worth watching. We have Badu Jack against uh, Dervin Colina at light heavyweight. Jared Hurd against Luis Arias at middleweight. Chad Johnson, that Chad Johnson, yes, making his debut against Brian Maxwell at Cruiserweight. I almost forgot totally about that. Um John Carlos Torres is fighting Zach Kuhn. 
Adrian Benton against Pedro Angel Cruz, uh, Mickey, Mickey Scalia against Adam Ramirez, Dorian Khan against uh, Jonathan Condi, Jaleel Hackett against Angel Diaz, and Vidal Riley against Quintel Thompson. Anything else on this card make it watchable to you? It's not it's that it's $49, not be, so that's why $50. It's, it's not that it's not going to be watchable. They'll have some good fights. But the fact of the matter is, it's all—it's like any other Floyd Mayweather fight. He's going to get his fighters on to make some money and, and fights that could be fairly competitive to one-sided matches. They're just trying to draw in as much interest and make as much money as possible. This isn't a real fight card in anything more than the name of itself. There'll be some good fights. There'll be some good stoppages. There'll be some good back-and-forth action. None of these fights are the kind of fights that'll be determining the next world champion or the, or the future of the division. None of these guys are... Are, are clearly established as such. Fight with a bunch of guys who aren't really established, don't have the biggest names, won't demand the biggest salaries, so they'll be happy with whatever they get paid, and they can, they, they, they can low end of the payment. It won't be bad, like terrible. They won't be getting robbed, but they're not going to demand multi-million dollar purses, so it's going to maximize all the money they can make while, minim, while kind of minimizing how much money they spend and putting into this. Most of the money is going to be going to Floyd's guy, Floyd himself, and... um. Logan Paul. So it's just a good way for them to make money. There'll be lots of good fights because the, the lower card fights justify it if they're good and they're fairly competitive and they're evenly matched, but it's nothing that's shaping the direction of boxing. Not that they have Devin Haney or they have Javonta Davis or even an Adrian Broner on the undercard, that'd be something different. They just need it to be legitimate enough to justify what they're doing. Good, and, if, good, good. We, and just so you know, in future reference, if Floyd wins or when he wins this, um, and if Jake and if Jake Paul wins his next fight, we already know what the next fight's going to be. What we know Jake Paul versus Floyd Mayweather. If Jake beats Tyron, he's going right for Floyd. He's already got it set up. He's got it. He took his hat. That fight? He took he took his hat. He made a big scene. Oh, was, yeah, the fight is between Logan and Floyd, and everybody's talking about Jake and Floyd. And Jake's the one who wins. If he beats Tyron Woodley, that means he's beat. Even though they're MMA champions, he's beat two former world champions. Most likely by knockout, he's going to say, why don't I make a third? I'm undefeated. Your O's got to go. My O's got to go. So let's talk about that now. Let's talk about that Jake and Tyron fight where it's, um, I think, let me look at the, I got the rules here. Let me pull it up. I think I had it, right? Do I have it up? Nope, I do not. So when this was announced, Jake Paul came out as a favorite, minus 150. Yeah. I totally, I 110% agree with that in every way, shape, and form. And you saw a lot of the conversation on t- on Twitter, mainly, of people talking about Tyron going to knock Jake Paul out. And I was like, uh, you might want to change your, you might want to delete that tweet while you still can. Because I see Tyron getting knocked out in this fight. Yep. It, compared to Ben Ask, the thing is, compared to Ben Askren, Tyron has a better chance of beating Jake Paul because if nothing right. else, he's still explosive in spots. He still has the right hand. He's hit people with it. They've backed off. He's hit people with it. He's shooken them up. So it's still it's still a threat. But what people are not understanding is I don't know that Tyron Woodley is much better a striker than Ben Askren if we really get down to it. Tyron Woodley doesn't throw combinations. He doesn't really throw body punches. He doesn't really jab. He essentially paused with his left, backs up to the cage, and then throws the right hand. And the one fight where he was coming forward throwing flurries or series of punches, he got hit as much as he was hitting the other guy. So the, people don't understand how much work 
Logan and Jake Paul put in this, they're they're not world class guys, but they're really sparring guys. They're really taking shots. I'm not saying they're the greatest in the world, but they're not fighting boxers. They're fighting MMA fighters, guys who boxing is part of it. And with Tyrone Willis going to start training boxing purely boxing for six months, that's not going to make up for the fact that somebody else has been doing it independently 100% for three to five years. Sparring, training, conditioning, working with high-level trainers, spinning, because they have money, they can pay for the best, and they're 100% dedicated to it. And I thought Askren had a chance to win because he could tire him out in clinches and if he could go forward and up. The farther the fight goes with Tyron Woodley, the less chance he has of winning because he's never been a cardio-type fighter. You can tell me it's, it's not wrestling. He doesn't worry about that. What about clinches? What if Jake ties him up in clinches? What if they go in a heavy exchange? Tyron Woodley can get him out of there, but the way Tyron Woodley fights makes it just as likely he gets put out of there too. Um, early in that, that Ben Askren fight, Jake got caught clean. Yeah. He came back and he put Askren out. So Tyrone can catch him, but it's not like MMA. You don't follow him to the ground. He'll get a standing eight count. Mm-hmm. And if he recovers, now you're right back at square one. Can you finish? And if Tyrone goes out for the finish, does Tyrone have anything left for round two? You know, the best bet would probably be for him to go all out the first one or two rounds and see if he can get a finish. But if he doesn't finish, it's over for him. But if he tries to stay on his toes and box, we've never seen Tyrone Willie show any sort of that skill set. It's more likely that Jake Paul will stick on a jab and, and circle around the cage and box him and then turn it up late in the rounds. I, I'm not saying Jake Paul is great, but people don't under, people underestimate how much better he is than the average MMA fighter as far as their striking. Most MMA fighters are wrestlers turned fighters. Their striking is not great. If you look at Tyron Woodley's finishes, uh, when I was thinking about this fight, none of them, like you said, none of them come off of combinations. They come off a big one. Maybe like he hit... I can't even call the Koscheck one a combination because the first one basically sat Koscheck down to begin with. So, um, so you can't really look at any of his fights and say he had any huge combinations. He was a one-shot uh, striker, a, a counter striker based off of that, and he used his wrestling to kind of keep himself from being taken down and holding you up uh, against the cage. Um, I, so I really have a hard time seeing him win this fight. I equate it to... Just because you can swim and you can swim very well and you can do laps and stuff like that in your local pool doesn't mean you can outswim Michael Phelps. Doesn't mean you can do the breaststroke right. Doesn't mean you can do the the whatever other strokes there are correctly and win races doing that. Yeah, MMA fighters can strike. You know, they get in there and they can they they know the 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 ways to kind of get around a throwing a, a three combination, throwing a four. Uh, Throwing a jab and stepping out off of that—they know the minor stuff. No, they don't. Taking, but not all of them, too. Not all of them even know that. But when you're fighting someone who is doing just boxing, it's a totally different world. It's like if—I'll give you a prime example of that. Ben Askren was a collegiate star wrestler. Yes, he didn't make the Olympic team. He was expected to make the Olympic team, but he didn't make it. Goes in MMA, wins multiple uh, championships. When he went back to wrestling against Jordan Burroughs, who only wrestles, Burroughs wore his ass out all over the mat. So yep. how do you expect a mixed martial artist to step into a boxing ring and be able to outstrike an actual boxer? I always tell people, with the exception of Robbie Lawler, and Lawler didn't even really box in that fight, he just came right in. Who's the guy who can box Tyrone Willis look good against? And the only guy I can think of that, he, that boxed that he fought really was Kelvin Gastelum, and he didn't look good in that fight. 
and Kelvin Castell is a terrible boss, terrible boxer. He's probably he the best boxer he, he fought, though. If you think he, about he, it. Didn't, he didn't look good at Usman. Usman's jab figured him out. He yeah. didn't look good. Rory McDonald. Rory McDonald isn't a good boxer. And his jab. I, I've people keep people think I'm just talking. I've been in boxing gyms for hours, months, days, years. I've seen trainers. I watch fights. People send me films. I've been there. They don't understand the gap. Like I go to an MMA place, and they're like, "Oh, you got a pretty nice jab." Yeah, I've got a pretty nice jab for a guy who can't box. You know, it's like, oh, I landed my jab on you, but I can't box, so that means nothing. Like, you don't understand the gap you're you're going into. And I'm not saying Tyrone can't land one big shot, but if he doesn't land that big shot or Jake Paul can handle it, what based on what you've seen, what is Tyrone Willie, what else is Tyrone Willie gonna do to win that fight? Take him down? Yo, yeah. Is is he gonna go eight rounds? Yeah, that's not happening. And the and this, the final thing I say about this. It's the same thing that Conor McGregor uses against people. It's the same thing the Paul brothers do, especially Jay Paul does. He puts on a front. He goes over the top. He gets people mad. And people start buying into the show, and they start they, – they ignore the work. They ignore that there's a real person who's doing work and setting up to fight, and they get so focused on shutting this guy up. Like, you don't want none of this. I'm like, dude, this, this – this, you, you got to put that stuff aside, dude. You can't – you got to put that side stuff. You can't get so caught up in the other stuff that you completely ignore the legitimacy of what this person's doing. You know, Tyron Woodley's a great athlete. He was a great wrestler. He's a great MMA fighter. As far as boxing, I don't know that he's – I probably know 16, 15, 14, 16-year-olds who, who probably put hands on him. And that's not an insult. He's just not a good enough boxer. And anybody who tells you differently is lying. There's some kids in Cuba right now, 14, 15, light him up right now. He, he's just not that good a boxer. He's a great athlete who can punch hard. Difference between being a great athlete who can punch hard. He can still win it. Because Jake Paul is not great himself, but Jake Paul has put more time into this specifically. There's a reason he's fighting Tyron Woodley and only giving Woodley, what, two, three months to really focus on something. And that's not enough time. The only thing he can focus on is landing that right hand. And if he doesn't land that right hand, I have no idea what he does next. None. Yeah, very true. Very true there, sir. Um, just before, let's, let's, before we move on to the UFC fight night 189, how, what do you think the buy rate will be for Mayweather versus Paul? <laughs> Just because it's a Paul brother and Jay talks so much stuff and, and the loss to Nate Robinson and how everybody's, you know, kind of overshadowing how he's beating up combat sports stars is making them kind of look bad. I figure people are going to want to see if Floyd can get back some of the honor for the combat sports stars. Because if he wins, you know Floyd's going to be like, MMA fighters couldn't get the job done, but Floyd Mayweather never disappoint. And he's right. And I know it's not, I know it's not MMA. You signed the contract. You took the money. I don't want to hear nothing about my experience. I needed more time. I was injured. You took the money. You signed the contract. You knew what you're getting into. That's what you get. So I, I, I this, this should do at least a million. I would think at least a million. Wow. Also, I mean, he's Logan Paul. All his fans are going to tune in, regardless, just to see how he does, whether he wins or not. If he makes it through a round or two, his fans are going to be like, "Oh my God, da 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 da." He, you know, he made it around, and he's only fought one fight. It's gonna. His, he's got a tremendous social media presence, and Floyd's gonna have people who hope to see him lose and really be embarrassed. Because if he lost to this guy, it's really humbling. You could handle losing to De La Hoya. You could handle losing to Zab Judah, but losing to Logan Paul, oh my God, they would just love it. They would just eat it up. They would just eat it up if Floyd lost. So there's gonna be tons of people who hate Floyd. It'll be all the athletes who want to see Floyd get some get back for them. It's gonna be all Logan Paul. If it doesn't do a million, at least I'll be shocked. True. True. That's um. Let's hop on our last topic of the day. And we're talking about UFC Fight Night 189. Now, 
do I work on Saturday? I do work on Saturday and I work, work for Fight Metric and I'll be doing some stats for this event. And I looked at this card and I'm like, yeah, it's going to be one of those nights. It's going to be one of those nights. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to say I don't see any value on this card because that's disrespectful to the people who are stepping into the cage fighting. I mean, you have some names who are getting in here to challenge themselves. But if I am a, with playoff basketball going on right now, playoff hockey, you have baseball back, uh, you have so many other, the, the country's opening back up. I mean, we're one week away from everything being opened up in D.C. Does this card get you to stay home and watch on a Saturday night? If they're not doing these cards for the ratings. They help to get a good rating. It's always nice. They're not they're, correct. But still. They're doing these cards because they just need content because they can play this at a later stage. They can play it over. And whatever whatever rating the UFC is going to get is going to be better than 90% of what ESPN has to offer. So um, that's, it's a basketball game. Well, yeah, but they they don't obviously they don't have one. Otherwise, they wouldn't have this out there. They can put it on ABC so they can get the best. We'll have it on ABC and get our money there. And whoever doesn't like that, come over here and we'll get that too. So we'll just get it. We'll just get it all. We're not just going to get the big pie and we'll get the crumbs too. Cleaning out the pan after the crumbs. So it covers both bases. And it, it for the fighters, it's really good because it's going to force them to be active with people falling out and issues with COVID and, tra and transportation and training. It's going to most, there's going to be a lot of fighters who are going to have the opportunity to build their way up and make a name for themselves. On the same regard, it's going to be a lot of fighters who are going to basically fight themselves into pink slips because they're going to be fighting fairly often and you won't have a loss and then get six months to really recover and figure out what you're going to do and see if you can address those problems. Rosenstruck fought, what, a month and a half ago? If I, I recall. Like it was more than that, but yeah, this is a real gone fight. It, 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 was, it, was, it was fairly recently. It wasn't three months. But, you know, I mean, let me put it like this. It wasn't like he fought and then it was a couple months and then the fight announcement and then the fight. This was, fight was put, pretty, put together fairly quickly. So he's going to be fighting again. He loses another fight. It won't be a pink slip for him, but he'll be on a two-fight losing streak. And one, and unless this fight is a barn burner, and if this is a fight is just as boring as the last one, he will be in 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 position to be cut. Even though the heavyweight division is thin, the UFC, with their reach and their power, has the freedom to bring in whoever they want, whoever's going to give them what they want, which is hot, which is exciting fights. His last fight did not do that job. So, so lots of opportunity to move up, but there's going to be a lot of fighters who are going to end up with their pink slips as a result of this this need to fill content because you're not putting out the best fights. You're not putting out the best fighters. You have three or four really good fights and then a bunch of fights being right now in their division, which is what we have tonight. I mean, Saturday night. How do you see this um, fight going? Um, Sakai, he's kind of aggressive. He likes to impose his will. He likes to throw, maybe not a lot, but he throws hard. Rosenstruck is best off the counter. He seems like he's best off the counter. He doesn't seem very comfortable coming forward. Which And after the last fight, there's a good chance he just comes forward, which will play into Sakai's hand. Um, it's going to basically who lands first. I can see Rosenstruck being on the counter and chopping him down and, and, and working him out. And if he can just be defensively sound, he should be able to cruise to a fairly a fairly comfortable decision. Um, I feel like he's going to be a little bit more aggressive, though, and that's going to give Sakai more opportunities to land. Sakai is easy to hit, but the fact of the matter, he'll take three or four shots to land his one or two. So you have to be prepared to stand to whatever he has firing back, and you have to be prepared to meet him in exchanges. 
And um, like I said, I think Rosie Strzok's going to be a little bit more aggressive. He's going to hang around a little bit more in the pocket. He's going to step forward a little more. And that's going to allow him to do more damage, but it's going to put him in the line of fire a little more. Because when you're a counter guy, it acts as a buffer. If I'm just going to throw counters, then I, you show your hand and I can pop, 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 pop. If I come forward, I'm trying to create an opening. And in creating an opening, I'm exposing myself to being hit. So it's not that he doesn't have a bad chin. He doesn't have a good chin. But he's faced guys who have kind of been intimidated by his power or who aren't really durable. Sakai is fairly durable, and Sakai is willing to fire off with him. I don't think Sakai is a technical fighter, but he's very he's he's an educated ed, educated brawler. He's smart enough, has some skills, but he relies heavily on physicality, activity, and power. So um, I'll say Rosenstruck should win this on paper, but I feel like he's going to be more aggressive, trying to prove a point, and he's going to put himself in some dangerous situations. It, it's essentially going to make this 50-50. I don't think it goes to five rounds. And if it goes five rounds, it's going to be an ugly slog of a fight. Hopefully, this ends inside of three. Who has uh, the most to lose on Saturday? I would say Rosenstruck. Sakai, is he's limited. He's a flawed fighter, but at least he's exciting. The UFC will pay for excitement. They'll keep excitement around. You know, I mean, as, as, dominant, as, a champ, as dominant as Woodley had been, for example, he's boring. So the minute he lost the title, they just threw him to the wolves. We've had exciting guys hang around the UFC a lot longer than they had to because they put on exciting fights, whether it's female fighters or male fighters. If you can put on, you can put on a show, if you can lose in spectacular fashion or win in spectacular fashion, we got something for you. If you can lose in a boring fashion and win in a boring fashion, ask Ryan Hall. He's he's under he's undefeated in the most boring wins ever, and he doesn't he he's not getting a chance in anything. They got guys who Ryan are, Hall's wins are not boring. What are you talking about? They're not boring to you and me, but to the regular fan, it's boring. It's not exciting. Huh? He has a fight. He does. But he should be moved. He should be fighting tougher guys. He should be further along. He hasn't had a lot. The UFC can put pressure on people. If he drew fans and he was interesting and exciting and had interest, people would want to the reason they want to fight Connor. It's not because Connor's the best guy. He brings the most eyes and most paydays. You beat him at Kickstart you. You beat Nate Diaz, it kickstarts you. Beating Ryan Hall don't do nothing for you. So what? You it beat doesn't. Him. You're right. You're right. It doesn't. It doesn't. And uh, I think no one wants to have to, no one wants to have to do the work to figure out that puzzle. It's not worth it. So what if you beat him? You beat a guy who's 4 0 in the UFC and hasn't fought a ranked fighter? There. Threw out that win right away. Rosenstruck needs to have a good performance and he needs to have, he needs a win. But he also needs an exciting performance. Losing, getting knocked out after being boring, or sneaking by being boring, or losing while being boring does him no good. Mm -hmm. Right now, they need content, and they can get you your fights off your contract and get you the hell out of here quick. So he needs, to put on he needs to put on an exciting show. They've, they've cut better heavyweights than Rosenstruck already. So he needs to put on an exciting show. This is one of the rare double heavyweight main and co-main events because you have Marcin Tybura and Walt Harris. There's a, there's a reason why they're so rare. Yeah, Jesus, oh, don't I know it? Don't I know it? And this is uh, this is a co-main. I think there's more chance of a finish in the co-main event than there is in the main. I think I feel like the guys on the main card are going to, or in the main event, are going to fight with more caution. Marcin Tybura and Walt Harris. I think one or the other is going to get themselves put out. Yeah, the the problem here is Harris at one point was considered maybe a had the, he is the tool he's athletic he hits pretty hard but he's always just had a problem transitioning between the the wrestling grappling and the striking he's 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 never been able to blend everything together he 
striking or he's wrestling. He's he's very easy to figure out. It's very easy to telegraph, and it's it's got him beaten quite a few times. And he's kind of lost any sort of edge and any sort sort of momentum he's built up with the UFC. Tibur is an interesting case in that I really he kind of was established as a journeyman, and he's all of a sudden started slowly working himself into being a legitimate contender as a uh, as a heavyweight. I mean, the division's then, but the win over Ben Rothwell was was pretty impressive. He just outworked him, out-hustled him, kind of beat him from pillar, pillar to post. Um, the Greg Hardy fight wasn't wasn't super impressive. I mean, he, he beat him, but Hardy's not great, but it was high profile because everybody knows who Hardy is. Um, and he beat two other guys who weren't anything – anything spectacular heavyweight, but he's putting wins together. And in heavyweight, it's very hard to put wins together. Guys win two, lose two, win three, lose three, win two, lose three. He's putting wins together. He's building momentum. If he wins his next fight, that's five fights. That's five mm-hmm. fights in a row. Um, I don't know that Harris, I know Harris could wrestle him, but Harris's conditioning routinely lets him down. He gets tired even when he's dominating. He's not really hard to hit. When he, he tries to assert himself offensively, he kind of gets countered. Um, he's got the obvious skills, but he doesn't really have a lot of craft to his game as far as, like, nuance. You know, he doesn't have a lot of feints and, and angle footwork and pivots and, and slips and parries and counters and rolls. He doesn't have anything. He's very meat and potatoes, and he's not a good enough athlete, nor is he durable enough to do either one of those things. So I think Tibera, I think Tibera puts a face on him and basically ends up out hustling him. I don't know if he knocks him out. Um, it's possible he lost his last two fights by knockout. Um, but I'm thinking that that the Tiberior just basically out hustles him and wins the decision. He could knock him out. He he might be ready to go, but I think I think Tiberior just out hustles him and wins the decision. But Harris Harris has taken a tremendous step back. He was once thought of as the future person in the cha- in the division, but every time he's faced a certain caliber of fighter, he he hasn't been able to execute. He's lost and he, he's lost pretty decisively and right now Marcin Tibera is kind of that level of fighter that he loses to. I think that loss to Alistair Overeem really sent him back because that's when all of the eyes were on him for better or for worse. It was unfortunately reason why they were, but all the eyes were on him and he looked like he was about to break through, but we saw how the fight ended and it was kind of was it added to the heartbreak of I, the situation. I personally don't think he should have been fighting. He wasn't in the right same mind, but you got to do what you got to do, I suppose. But if you look at his record, look at the wins. Chase Sherman, Cyril Asker, Daniel Spitz, Alexei Olenek, and he had a no contest. Andre Har- Arvlosky. I mean, these, yeah, it's hard to kind of – who's the most valuable win out of that? The, the most oh. valuable win is – I mean, the, it's probably Olenek, and Olenek's not great. Yeah, you yeah. Know, look, look, look at who he's lost to, though. Shamil – I can't say the name. Abdur Kamevov. Fabricio Verdum, Mark Godbeer, Alistair Overeem, Alexander Volkov. Alexander Volkov is just basically an active fighter with more of a ground skill fighter who, who has an active striking, well conditioned. That he's he might maybe a better version of Tibera. But every time he faces a certain caliber opponent, he loses and he loses decisively. Mm-hmm. Um, Alexander Overeem knockout second round. Volkov knockout second round. Lost to Godbeer. I think he, he got DQ. Lost to Fabricio, submission, first round. Shamil, he lost decision, third round. I mean, it's just, he, he fought Solal Paleli, lost by second round KO. I mean, Nikhila Krydov, lost by first round KO. Don't you talk bad about Nikki Thrills. 
I'm just saying, Jared Roshaw lost, but every time he's faced a certain caliber of opponent, True. he has, and I don't know, I, I don't want to take away from the mental stress of his situation. If 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 you're in that situation, I don't know that you should be fighting anyways. And maybe that's the only way he can deal with it, but I don't necessarily know if he should be fighting anyways. And um, it just seems like he's on a downward slide. Tarbir is on an upward slide. And while he could out-wrestle him, and maybe he could even knock him out, the fact of the matter, even in his wins, he has not been particularly impressive. And that's against set third and third and fourth tier fighters. He hasn't looked particularly dominant or great against third or fourth tier fighters. Good stuff. Uh, what else stands out to you on this card? Um, let me pull the card back up real quick so I can look at it. Uh, Ro- Roman Jalazzi versus Loreno Starpoli, Santiago Ponzinibbio versus uh, the undefeated Miguel Beza. That's pretty interesting. Uh, Disco Tavork versus Gregory Rodriguez. Tom Breeze is back, um, fighting Antonio Arroyo. Okan Amirakani fighting Kamala Kirk. Montana De La Rosa fighting Ariane Lipitsky, the what is it? The, what does she call herself? The God of War? The yeah. Goddess of War? Something like that. Um, Ilir Latifi fighting Tanner Bozer. The best, the best, the best fights on most of these fights, the Trinaldo fight and the Selikov is a good fight. Um, as old as he is, and even though he hasn't been, he hasn't been spectacular recently in the UFC. The fact of the matter is he's he's managed he's managed to put wins together, and he's never been an easy out. So this is a chance to, for Muslim to show himself, to show that he's at another level, and get that entry entryway into fighting the upper ranked guys, the name guys, the guys who have some momentum behind them, the guys who have the UFC behind them. Mm-hmm. I mean, Trinaldo's on what uh, three fight win streak. Yes. He's on, on three-fight win streak, so Muslim beats him. That gives him a leg up, and he can, he can start calling out the higher-ring fighters, and he can start actually making a dent in the light lightweight division as far as having to be paid attention to. No, you can no longer ignore him and just put him with lower-ring guys. The guys are going to have to start fighting him. So that's an important fight. And if Trinaldo beats him, that's four, fight, four, four wins in a row, and now Trinaldo's got to be looked at as at least an outside contender for a title shot. You know, obviously he's not really close to it, but he could at least be a fringe contender for a title shot. And at his age, that'd be, that'd be, that's an important fight. That'd be impressive for him. So that's a very important fight at the lightweight division. Um, Montella De La Rosa versus Lipsky. Both fighters are actually underachievers. Both of them, Lipsky came in with huge hype. She was supposed to dominate such a dynamic striker, athletic striker, punishing striker, and she's been average at best. Mm-hmm. And Montella De La Rosa is like, I don't know, middle class, um, Gillian Robertson, same age can wrestle, athletic, can grapple. I mean, Gillian Robertson's been middle class. What are you talking about? Yeah, but Montel De La Rosa is the middle class version of that. So I guess she's the poverty class version of that. <laughs> I was about to say, like, you can't be the middle class some version of someone who's also middle class. But both of them are just wildly, ineffect- wildly inconsistent, wildly in- ineffective, and the UFC wanted to get behind them, and they have not been able to put wins together against opposition. I mean, they just, they're just they just so inconsistent, even though they got the skill sets to actually be contenders. So you have two people who were probably close to being cut from the UFC, who came in with a fair amount of hype and who had some potential as being stars in the division, who have underachieved and probably are maybe a fight or two from being cut, to be quite honest. And then the last fight would probably be Latifi versus Bozer. Bozer's a young heavyweight. He's kind of exciting, athletic, got an interesting style. Latifi's the long-time light heavyweight who's moved up to heavyweight. So it's interesting to see if he can make some headway 
because he should be one of the better conditioned, better skilled heavyweights just on the fact that he's a, he was lightweight. He's a pretty good athlete at that point. So it's seeing if he can transition and build some momentum and actually become a, um, a consistent and effective fighter at heavyweight. And for Boza, it's a chance for him to fight an experienced, accomplished fighter to see where he stands and see if he really has the potential to be a legitimate heavyweight contender. At this point, he's been, once again, fairly uneven. He's shown flashes, but he's never been able to put it all together. And this is the fight against a smaller, older opponent, which is, in a sense, a showcase fight for him to show that he can he can compete at a certain level. But um, it's also a dangerous fight because Latifi is just much more experienced and much more accomplished than him. So those fights are pretty interesting. Everything else has a fight where somebody's involved is interesting, but their opponent is not. Those are the only fights that both sides have a storyline that you could really buy into and get into as far as I'm concerned. Are you going to watch this card live? Probably not. I'll probably come in and out of it. I might watch a fight here and there. It's, it's, sometimes it's just hard to get through these 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 fights because not only are they not very good, they're not very good because they're not. These fighters have basically – you got guys who are 26 years old and they've already plateaued like three times, four times in two years, and they're the same fighter they were in 2018 that they are in 2021. And it's just embarrassing. I mean, it's just embarrassing. These guys are getting paid money. They're giving up 30% of their thing for their management and their team, and they're not getting better. It's not so much you have to have names. You can have a lack of names on a card, but if they're well-developed and they're progressing and they're being matched right, they're getting better, so you're going to get a high quality of fight. A lot of these people aren't being matched right. A lot of these people aren't progressing. A lot of these people ha- have shown the best they, they, they had when they debuted in the UFC two or three years ago. And that's the problem. You're not getting high quality fights because you're not getting people who are properly developed and properly prepared. They're just being ran out there, getting by on their natural talent. And once their natural talent doesn't isn't a difference maker, they have nothing. And it's it makes for terrible fights. It makes for terrible fight cards. We've had cards with a lack of names, and they've been great cards because you've had fighters who are young and upcoming, who are building momentum, who've been matched right, who have been developing. This card ain't it. A lot of these guys, I haven't seen any improvement from two years ago. They look like the same guy. Walt Harris looks like the same guy he was two years ago. He looks like the same guy he was four years ago. And, I under, and I'm and i not taking away the situation he was at, but, you know, it doesn't change the bottom line of his wins and losses. You know, it, it just it, it does not change that. And even in the heavyweight even the heavyweight division, you know, you got that fight. Rosenstruck is still pretty young in his career, but, you know, people have kind of figured him out fairly early in his, in, yeah. in his career. He's been figured out. He's going to have to show something new for this to be even an interesting fight. Sakai, as good as he's been and effective as good as he's been, he's the same fighter. He's an educated brawler. He hasn't really shown a lot of nuance or a, a different level. So it's like, it's easy. It's good because you know what you're going to get, but it's bad because you know what you're going to get because neither one of these guys are world-class guys. And when you have two world, non-world-class guys who have rankings or have something to lose in mixed martial arts, it usually ends up being really bad fights because nobody wants to risk a loss and nobody wants to risk a certain kind of loss. True that, sir. True that. So if you're not going to be watching, why don't you let everybody know what you're working on? Um, I did an article. I'm working on an article for the Pena um, this fight. It's, it's a little bit off, but I want to kind of talk about how the things Juliana Pena, why she deserves some respect in this and why she could be a threat to Amanda Nunes. It's, it's very easy to point. Amanda Nunes is this. Amanda Nunes is that. She's going to win. She knocks everybody out. But you know, as a person who's done scout work or coaching for fighters, it's not my job to tell you how great your opponent is. Obviously, that's part of it to prepare you. It's my job to find chinks in the armor or things you could, little strings you can pull out 
to make the whole thing fall apart. And Nunes has them. It's just very few people have exposed them. But I think Juliana Pena does a few things that um, could put her in position to, if not beat Nunes, to extend her and and make her have to earn the win. Um, Before I I hand over to you, I just wanted to talk really quickly about the Devin Haney-Lenares fight. Yes. Uh, It's an an actual boxing fight, like a real one. it was it was last Saturday. Devin Haney had his biggest win, beating former multiple weight champion Jorge Linares by unanimous decision. Um, Haney's been a guy who's been trying to get his foothold. He's been kind of behind Javante Davis, kind of behind Tiafimo Lopez, because he's never had a name fight. They kind of put him over, put him in the same ring as those guys. Even Ryan Garcia fought a highly ranked fighter before Devin Haney, so fighting Linares was his chance to step out of the shadows. And really put a punctuation mark on what kind of fighter he is and say that, hey, I'm ready for these guys. I'm ready for the big names. I'm ready for the big matchups. To mostly he did that. He showed an excellent jab. He showed defensive awareness. He showed speed. He showed accuracy. He showed sharpness. And he he, he had Lenars more or less befuddled throughout the fight. It was a step ahead of him. On the downside, even though he was a step ahead of him, because Haney's so gifted, most guys he fights after about, if they laugh, after about three or four rounds they commit to surviving they know they can't beat him they know they're not going to win so they start throwing big bombs and basically letting him do his work he's not really used to a guy fighting back he's not used to a guy fighting him for the entirety of a fight so when he gets tired in other fights or he eases off the gas guys just let him be in cruise control and they accept the fight they're going to lose and they just let him outbox them throughout the fight Jorge Lenares kept landing on him and kept pushing back he would never he would do just enough not to get overwhelmed and late in the fight, he hit him with a three-punch combination, had him stumbling, had him doing the uh, abbreviated version of the uh, Zab Judah dance. And from that point on, he won every single round. It wasn't it wasn't enough to win the fight because he wasn't able to get a knockdown. He wasn't able to get a finish. But it showed that, A, Haney was in complete control, and he never had Lenares close to being finished, which makes you question his power. B, either it's because of the weight cut, he's too big for the weight class, or the fact that he had to fight – hard 12 rounds it, even in dominating he had to fight hard 12 rounds he was tired and see Lenares can punch but the first it's basically the first time Haney's fought anybody who could punch who's actually hit him and the first time he took a clean combination he didn't hold not only did he get hurt for the next three or four rounds outside of a few bursts of offense he was tying up he was tugging he was running away he was refusing to engage so, so he did the right things as far as IQ and awareness but he didn't show that warrior spirit you want to see. He didn't show that that need to get back. He didn't endear himself with the fans. He 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 did the right things. He boxed smart. Fans don't want to see that. They want to see you go for it when a guy hurts you. And he didn't do that. So while it gave him the biggest win that shows that he can compete at this level, it also opened the door to say, like, yeah, he can compete, but we don't know that he can consistently win at this level, which, once again, just hurts his own standing as far as a dominant fighter. So um, he got half. He got most of the job done. He didn't get it all done. And um, his next his next fight against a named guy is going to be interesting because we saw some flaws that a guy who is 10 years younger and has 40 less fights is going to exploit. You know, Javante Davis isn't going to get tired like that guy. Teofima Lopez isn't going to be a step behind you like that guy. Ryan Garcia hits harder and is faster than that guy. So all those fights became a lot more interesting. But Devin Haney's position as a dominant champion who can call the shots and say he's better than everybody actually got hurt by that performance because of the vulnerabilities he showed. Good stuff there, sir. I appreciate that breakdown. I forgot that that fight happened. So thank you for talking about that, man. Um, Shawan, we'll be back here 
next week for episode 207 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. You can always find us over on our flagship at MMARatings.net. You can catch us on Instagram and Twitter, MMA Ratings Net in both spaces. Um, this podcast and the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast, you can hit me up there. Find us on Spotify, Anchor, SoundCloud, um, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Apple iTunes. And as always, you can hit me at rgarcia underscore sports on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And Shawan Hames, you can hit him up at Black Jordan Breen. We'll be back here next week to talk about the fights from this weekend and any other news that goes down between now and then. And as always, guys, thank you for taking the time to check out the show. You are very appreciated. Have a great night and stay safe this weekend, everyone. Everybody take it easy.